We're reading from Romans 5, 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Welcome to our service. Those of you joining us online and also here in our sanctuary, we are really, really glad to have you with us. And um, we seem to continue to have new people coming to our church, both in person and we hear of new people joining us online. And for the sake of those who are relatively new to our church, I'd like to take just a couple minutes to say a few words about who we are as a church. One of the best ways to learn about River Oaks is by looking at what we call our vision frame. And on the screens uh, before you, you'll see the vision frame. Think of it as a window frame through which you look into the future. And in the future, you see what we call our vision 2025. Our vision 2025 is a much prayed over and discussed description of what we believe the Lord would have our church look like by the end of year 2025. As you look at the frame on the right, you'll see a, a mission statement and at the bottom of the frame, a discipleship pathway, kind of a map for spiritual growth. But to the left of the frame, you see seven values. I want to take just a moment to speak about the one at the bottom, next gen Focus. That is, as a church, we're very much focused on the next generation. By the way, these seven are not in order of importance. Being focused on the next generation, our children, our students, has always been extremely important to us as a church. One of the things I've, I've noticed about ministries to children and uh, youth is that great ministries for children and students requires great volunteers, people who see the tremendous value of investing time and energy in the future leaders of our church. I see uh, Sonny and Trish Flowers sitting in uh, our congregation today, and I can think of when they started our, our youth ministry and all the students who were coming through, and a number of them now who are serving the Lord and in missions around the world. They had a vision for investing in students, uh, as many of you have. And I want to mention that in particular this morning because, as you may know, right now we're providing Noah's Ark and Kids Rock only at 11 a.m., but on Easter Sunday, when we will have three services, one at 8, one at 9, 15, one at 11, 
We'll have Kids Rock and Noah's Ark at 9, 15, and 11. What that means is there are a whole lot of opportunities for people to serve who may not currently be serving. And if you'd like to see what it's like to be in uh, uh, Kids Rock or Noah's Ark, just indicate that on your Ham Here card. You can fill out your card online or you can email uh, Marie, who just shared our children's message, or Tiffany Singer. And that would be a, a great way for you to get a taste of what it's like to minister to the next generation. This morning, as we look again at the book of Romans, I'll invite you to join me as we pray once again. Father, we come to you now in the great name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we pray the prayer of Psalm 119. Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of your law. Amen. The New Testament book of Romans, written by the Apostle Paul, has been called the most basic comprehensive statement of true Christianity. It is a logical, systematic explanation of what we call the gospel. The gospel was defined by the Apostle Paul as being the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So far in this letter to the Romans, we've seen in the first couple chapters an emphasis upon our need, our need for God's grace, our need for His forgiveness. In chapter 3, we saw a very clear explanation of how God provided that forgiveness through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, the, Jesus Christ, the shedding of His blood on the cross, His resurrection from the grave. In chapter 4, we saw the importance of embracing what God has done for us in Christ by faith. And we saw the example of Abraham, uh, the Old Testament hero, as a model of faith for us. At the end of chapter 4, we read these words in Romans 4, verses 22 to 25, speaking of Abraham. That is why his faith was, quote, counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Now, justification is one of the most important words in the Bible for us to understand. Justification is the result of Jesus taking upon himself the judgment for our sin so that we could be counted as righteous in him, so we could be credited with his righteousness. To justify is something that God does. Justification is the process by which God declares a, a, a guilty sinner righteous forgiven, justified. Receiving the benefits of justification begins with recognizing our need. That's why the Apostle Paul has laid the groundwork for this in, in chapters 1 and 2, and then in chapter 3 says, none is righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The simple point is that in order to receive 
the beautiful gift of the grace of God in Jesus. And to be justified, we've got to recognize our sin. Some people have a very hard time doing that. I remember visiting in a hospital one time and speaking with a woman who was, who was very close to death. If I recall, she was in her 90s, not a member of our church. And I can remember talking to her about the gospel. And this woman had been connected with the church for much of her life, but she could not accept the idea of her, her, her sin and her need for a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. To think of oneself as a, a sinner is very offensive to some people. Why is that? I think it's simply because some people have an inadequate view of the holiness of God. And we always think of ourselves on the basis of comparison with other people. You know, Jesus dealt with people like this all the time. They were the most religious people in his day. They were known as the Pharisees. And one day, Jesus went to, to dine in the home of a man named Levi. He was a tax collector, and tax collectors were despised by the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, observing Jesus going to dine in the house of Levi, complained, he's, he's gone to eat with a man who's a sinner. And what does Jesus say in Luke chapter 5? He said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus didn't mean by that that some people like the Pharisees were righteous, but that his uh, work, his justifying work was only for those who could recognize their need. On another occasion, he said, two men went into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee began thanking God for how good he was, but the tax collector said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said, that man went home justified. We've got to acknowledge our need before a holy God. That's why in the little section of Romans 5 we're looking at today, Paul makes much of the fact that apart from God's justifying work for us in Jesus, we are alienated from God. We are ungodly sinners. He says it three times in the short 11 verses. While we were ungodly, he notes, Christ died for us. You see it in Romans 5 and verse 6. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Paul's making the case that we didn't earn our place with God. It's by God's grace, His mercy, His goodness. Furthermore, in Romans 5 and verse 8, but God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In Romans 5 and verse 10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, how by the death of His Son, much more being reconciled, will be saved by his life. I think Paul's point is that we all stand in need of the justifying work of Jesus Christ. But he ends chapter 4 saying that Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses, and he's now been raised for our justification. And so he goes into chapter 5 where he's going to make much of the benefits 
of being a justified person. And he starts chapter 5 with these words, therefore, being justified, being justified, we have peace with God. You see this in Romans 5 and verse 1. Therefore, because Jesus was delivered up for us, raised for our justification, <clears throat> since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I got to tell you, this is one of the best verses in the Bible to memorize. I think my wife Beth has got it up somewhere in our, our kitchen, I'm sure of it, over the sink, a little plaque. Since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God, peace with God is the greatest thing that a human being can have. Peace with God. As Paul will write later, I, I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor anything in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Having peace with God. An eternal assurance of your relationship with God. Now, I think it's important to stress something here. Having peace with God is not the same thing as experiencing the peace of God. There are times when you and I in life will experience the peace of God. There are times when we may not. The classic verse, I think, about experiencing the peace of God is found in the book of Philippians, chapter 4 and verse 6. It's a verse about prayer. The Apostle Paul says, be anxious for nothing but in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. The peace of God. Peace with God is a permanent condition of a justified person. It depends not on the way you feel or what you're experiencing. The peace of God is something Paul says we can experience when we rightly bring our, our issues to God in prayer and release them to Him and trust and His peace rests on our heart. Here's the reason I stress this. You may not always feel the peace of God. You may be a person who wrestles at times with anxiety or fear, discouragement, depression. You may not always feel the peace of God. I certainly don't. But peace with God rests not on the way you and I feel. It does not rest on our ability to work up enough faith or think we've got enough faith or to feel strong in faith. Peace with God is something God has accomplished for us in justification. And it rests on the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And no demon in hell can separate you from that. Peace with God. It rests on the faithfulness of God. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not our ability to feel a certain way, but through Jesus. He's done it. When you're justified, it's a settled fact. Peace with God. But there's more. The Apostle Paul in these remarkable verses writes, being justified by faith, we not only have peace with God, we also have access 
access by faith into God's grace. Through him, Paul writes, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. The word access is used only three times in the New Testament. Here in Romans 5 and verse 2, and then two times in the, in the letter Paul wrote to the Ephesians, once in chapter 2, once in chapter 3. In each of those cases, the word access is referring to access to God the Father, immediate, direct access into God's grace. And in chapter 3 of Ephesians, it seems to particularly refer to prayer, access to God in prayer. What Paul is saying is that you not only if you're justified, have a settled relationship with God that's secure because of Jesus, you've got open access to God the Father. In fact, elsewhere we'll read in the New Testament that believers are called to come with confidence before God's throne of grace to obtain mercy and grace what we need in time of prayer. If you're a justified believer, regardless of how you feel, You've got direct access to God, the creator of the universe at all times. This access is an incredible privilege that I expect we often underestimate. Some of you uh, may be sales people or maybe have been at some point in your career. I was a sales rep for the first 12 years, roughly, I was out of college. And I can remember as a sales rep uh, being taught that when you, when you make a, a, a sales call on a company, and I was selling uh, business equipment, that you always wanted to speak to the person with the highest level of authority. And in, in some companies, that would be the, the, the president or the CEO. But the larger the company, the more difficult it was to speak to the top decision maker in the company. And in a large company, as a sales rep, you'd walk into the uh, reception area, the lobby area, there might be a receptionist there, and you might say, well, I want to speak to the president of this company or the CEO, and the receptionist would say, oh, no, you need to speak to this person in this department, or you need to speak to this purchasing uh, agent here. And, and you might be sitting in the lobby there with other sales reps waiting to see the respective people. And suppose you're sitting there, and all of a sudden, a seven-year-old kid walks in the door, walks up to the receptionist, and the receptionist stands up immediately, takes this kid by the hand, and escorts the little boy to the office of the CEO, knocks on the door, and the CEO is delighted to welcome in this little kid. Why is that? Well, it's simply because the CEO is his father or mother, his child. He's his son. He's always got access, immediate, direct access because of the relationship. And the teaching of the New Testament is when you have come to God through faith in Jesus, you've come to the Father through the Son, you've been justified, you're called a son of God. You've been adopted, and you're encouraged by having access. You've always got access, access to the Father's throne. You know, Christians, I, I've talked to Christians sometimes about prayer, 
And, and, and sometimes I've gotten this response uh, when, when asking someone about praying for something. Sometimes they'll say, ah, I don't want to bother God with that. God's got bigger, bigger things to take care of than my situation. As if God has a limited bandwidth, which he does not. The Bible actually encourages us to take advantage of this access. And so Paul writes, not only do you have peace with God when you're justified, we've also obtained access, access by this faith in Jesus into this grace, and we stand in it. We live in it. Come boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in your time of need access. The prayer of the upright, the book of Proverbs says, is his delight. Your heavenly Father wants you to come. You have access. Thirdly, Paul says, being justified by faith, not only do we have peace with God, not only do we have access, but we can have joy in anticipation of God's glory. He writes in the latter part of verse 2, and not only do we have access, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Hope for us today is a somewhat weak word. We might say, I hope it's not going to rain this afternoon so I can do what I want to do. Or I sure hope my team is going to make it into the NCAA tournament. They're on the bubble. I hope they're going to get in. We often use the word hope that way in our time. But in Scripture, hope is often equated with certainty. Certainty of something we do not yet possess. And it's called hope simply because that about which we are certain lies in the future. For example, Jesus is called Christ, the hope of glory. The return of Jesus is referred to as the blessed hope. Hope is called an anchor for the soul. And what Paul is saying is that being justified, we not only have peace with God now, we not only have access into God's grace now, but we also have now joyful anticipation of a certainty in the future, and that certainty is the glory of God. If you were with us in January, um, watched our services in January, you know that for four weeks we talked about the glory of God. And I mentioned that the glory of God is one of the most difficult ideas in Scripture to define. It's very challenging to understand exactly what it is, though it's mentioned throughout Scripture seems to have to do with the beauty, the brightness, the magnificence, the perfection, the goodness of God's presence. And Paul says, we can live with this certainty, this hope, that one day for us, there is the glory of God. In fact, he'll say elsewhere, the sufferings of this present world are not worth comparing. They're not worth even comparing with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. 
And his point is simply this. Knowing this, knowing what lies in the future gives joy in the present. We rejoice in hope for the glory of God. Our experience of the fullness of that glory is in the future, yes, but it gives us joy now because we know it. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And it was this knowledge that Paul will explain to us gives us a new and different perspective toward suffering. The final point I want to make about this chapter, being justified, we can actually rejoice in our sufferings. We can see sufferings differently. We can have a new perspective about suffering. Not only do we have joy and anticipation of the glory of God, Paul says something that sounds really unusual. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. I don't like suffering. I expect you don't like suffering either. In fact, we, most of us spend a lot of time and energy getting out of suffering and avoiding suffering. And that's not unreasonable, and that's not bad. In fact, in the book of James, James writes, is anyone suffering? Let him pray. Circumstances can change. But Paul makes an important point here. The justified believer who has peace with God and direct access to his throne and lives in anticipation of God's glory can have a new perspective towards sufferings by knowing that God can use them in a way that is good. And even if your circumstance of suffering does not change, as a justified person, follower of Jesus, you can trust that God not only can, but will work good through that situation. Perhaps it's helpful to look at these words in the form of a little line with arrows. Suffering, Paul says, produces endurance. Endurance, character, character, hope. Now, as you look at those words for a moment, suffering, Paul says, produces endurance. He uses a word that's translated throughout the New Testament as either perseverance or steadfastness in most of our versions. In the book of James, James writes, Count it all joy, my brothers, whenever you encounter various trials, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance, endurance, steadfastness. Same word. The Greek word conveys the idea of abiding under, abiding in faithfulness to God under a trial, under a hardship. Maybe you know a Christian like that who's gone through something terribly difficult, but but in going through it, they did not run away from God. They didn't reject God. They didn't close the door on God. They, they, they remained faithful under his care, even in the midst of that trial. Endurance. And endurance, Paul says, produces character. This word character is used in Scripture to refer to something or someone who has been tested or proven. One commentator notes that in, in Paul's time in the ancient world, 
uh, coins were not made uniformly like they are now. They're not produced by a nice mint so that every penny is identical or every nickel is identical. Silver and gold coins, therefore, because they often were differing somewhat in size and shape, um, dishonest people would often take the coins and, and shave off some of the silver, some of the gold, and so a coin over time might get lighter and lighter and lighter, and there were many ancient laws against this practice. A light coin, one had been, that had been shaved like that, is described using the negative form of this word for character. But one with this character was weighty, proven, tested. The, the same word for character is used in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 3 where we have the qualifications for elders and deacons. The apostle Paul writes, for, for people you're going to consider to be deacons, let them first be proven. Let them first be tested. Let them have this quality of character. You know people like that? Been through some hard things. Sometimes say, yeah, they, they walked through the fire. I've known a lot of Christians like that over the years. They've, they've, they've been through very, very, very difficult things. But yet, they walk with God. And when you're around people like that, there's a... There's a there is a maturity there. There is a peace there. There is this quality of endurance, perseverance in their faith. There's this quality of character. They've been tested. They've been through something incredibly hard. But they drew near to God. They've been proven. They've been faithful in God's eyes. And Paul goes on to say, those like this, who've been through the suffering, and that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. That character produces hope. These are folks who live with, with hope, this certainty of what's ahead. And Paul says that hope, it doesn't disappoint us because the love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. We live, therefore, with a joyful anticipation of what's ahead, what's been guaranteed to us by the Holy Spirit who lives within us and gives the presence of the very love of God within us, guaranteeing that more is ahead in eternity with Him. And so, just to recap, Paul is talking about what it means to be justified because of Jesus who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Therefore, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not only that, we, we, we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Not only that, but we rejoice in the certainty of the glory of God. And furthermore, we even have a new perspective about suffering. We rejoice in our sufferings because we know God does something in us as we walk with him through those times. And so as we prepare to close, just a few questions by way of personal application. Number one, do I have peace with God? Comes from being justified by faith. 
having embraced what God has done for us through Jesus, recognizing our need, as Romans 3 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift. And that gift is received by faith. If you're not certain whether you have been justified, you can be today. And I'll, I'll uh, pray in a moment a prayer and invite you to take that step if you've not before. Secondly, how can I take advantage of the access I've been giving? Are you using your access? Are you living with access to God? Are you living like a believer? Are you responding to not only God's invitation, but his strong encouragement to come with confidence before the throne of grace to obtain mercy and grace in times of need? Number three, do a fine joy and anticipation of future glory. You know, when the Apostle Paul writes about glory, he sometimes writes about it in contrast to present suffering. Present suffering contrasted with future glory. Paul says, no comparison. No comparison. Later in Romans 8, he'll write, I consider that the, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. He wrote to the Corinthians, this light no momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. No comparison. What's the value of knowing it? Because it can give us joy in the here and now. And then finally, am I viewing suffering as an opportunity for spiritual growth? It's fine to pray for suffering to end. We do, we should. But we can also know God uses it. And as we abide faithful to him through suffering, it can result in greater endurance, character, and hope. Let's pray about that together today, shall we? Father, we come in the name of Jesus. Lord, I first want to pray for <coughs> anyone who is uncertain about his or her salvation, whether they have been justified. Lord, for that person today, I pray you would bring that person to a recognition of their need for your forgiveness of sin and to an understanding that Jesus paid it all. He was delivered up for our trespasses. He was raised for our justification. And we simply receive what he has done by faith. And if that's you today, I encourage you to simply pray a prayer saying, Father, I believe, I believe Jesus bore the judgment for my sin. And by faith, I receive his saving work for me. Jesus, be my Savior and my Lord. And Father, I pray for your people today. I pray you would strengthen your people in the things that they are facing, that you would encourage them with the power and presence and the joy of the Holy Spirit, that your love would be poured out upon our hearts by your Spirit. And we ask this in your great, great name. And we give all the glory to your name. 
Amen.